0: Searching for signs of life on the Red Planet, you're listening to Are We There Yet, the radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. It's the summer of Mars. Three spacecraft are heading to the Red Planet, rovers from NASA and China, as well as an orbiter from the United Arab Emirates. The Armada of Mars-bound explorers are taking advantage of a transfer window that happens only every two years, where Earth and Mars are at their closest points. The overall goal of these missions is to better understand Mars, and NASA's Perseverance rover, launching from Cape Canaveral in Florida, aims to find signs of ancient life on the Red Planet. We'll talk with Elizabeth Howell and Nicholas Booth, authors of the new book, The Search for Life on Mars. We'll get a rundown of all the cool science heading to the Red Planet, and the plan to bring back samples of Mars in the next decade. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? But first, let's take a look at the latest space news stories making headlines. NASA has completed a series of investigations into the first flight of Boeing's Starliner spacecraft, which failed to make it to the International Space Station on a test flight late last year. NASA and Boeing wrapped up a series of investigations into the failed mission, focusing on software and communication issues discovered during the flight. A broader investigation, called a high visibility close call review, also examined the leadership and organization of Boeing and how it works with NASA's commercial crew office. NASA said a lack of agency oversight was partly to blame for the failure. The Commercial Crew Program relies on private companies to launch astronauts to the International Space Station, ending a nearly decade-long reliance on the Russian Space Agency for rides to the ISS. SpaceX and Boeing were awarded contracts to design and develop new space vehicles to launch astronauts. The agency will also look at possible software and organizational issues with contractors throughout NASA, including a look at its next-generation moon rocket, SLS. Based on the Starliner investigations, NASA outlined over 80 recommendations for Boeing to improve the spacecraft. Work is underway to improve the software ahead of Starliner's next flight, although a date for that launch hasn't been set. You can find more space news online by visiting wmfe.org slash space or give me a follow on Twitter. I'm at Space NASA's Mars Perseverance rover is set to launch to the red planet later this month, but it's not the only mission heading there. NASA's rover will join two others launching this summer, another rover from China and an orbiter from the UAE. So what are these rovers going to be doing on Mars? For a breakdown of the cool science and tech heading to Mars, we're joined by Elizabeth Howell and Nicholas Booth, authors of the new book, The Search for Life on Mars. Elizabeth, Nick, thanks for speaking with us.
1: We're so glad to be here. Ditto from this side of the Atlantic, yeah.
0: Yes, wonderful. Thank you both for for being here. Um, This is a really exciting month for Mars exploration, uh, especially with the launch of... I'm still calling it Mars 2020 because I can't spell perseverance on first try, but uh, we've got the launch of NASA's Perseverance rover coming up later this month. Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about this mission.
2: I found the mission quite exciting because uh, when I was writing the book with Nick, which we'll talk about in a bit, I actually got to travel to California and briefly see the rover. And that was a bit of a, that thing over there is going to be on Mars in a year. I don't understand. So anyway, that was quite the experience right there. And even if you haven't got to see it in person, it still is really exciting because it's going to be pushing forward NASA's quest to find life on the red planet, which has been going on for decades and decades. So what makes Perseverance a bit distinct from all of the previous generations is it's going to be looking for actual signs of past microbial life itself. So it's not as though those microbes will be alive, but if they see anything, it might be fossils or traces or something else. So Perseverance will take the most promising samples and cache them. And then a next mission, a sample return mission, will pick up that stuff and safely bring it back to Earth.
0: There is something so incredible about seeing a spacecraft in person before it launches
1: isn't it i was just going to say elizabeth got to go to jpl and i didn't but i'm out of my sulk now so you know I, I will i will talk to her <laughs> on this this, this podcast
0: I, like the, the one thing that always gets me with with these rovers is just just their, their size right describe what what perseverance looked like 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 how big is this thing you know what's on it you know give us a sense of scale for this
2: Well, um, when you're standing beside it, you could ride on it, you know, as a person. That's how big this rover happens to be, because uh, it has a little spot, almost like a shelf, where you could sit sort of perched in between all of the instruments, safely, of course. And um, if you were able to ride a rover on Mars, you know, physically with all of the uh, other things we have to take into account, it would be possible, right, because of the sheer size of it. But what's also interesting is that the instruments that it's carrying are a suite of scientific uh, finders to learn about different aspects of the surface and so but we have for example high definition cameras that not only take panoramas of the surface for context but really zero in on the individual rocks so that you can see them and sort of get to a picture of them there are uh, other instruments that will be sort of picking up and examining the rocks and uh, breaking them apart and learning a bit more about the chemical composition. And then there's a whole caching system that will be used as well to take the most promising ones and then to set them aside, sort of isolated from the rest of the Martian surface, in order to uh, make that next mission come along and pick it. It also is an advancement on the uh, older rovers, including the Curiosity rover, which is still there. For example, the wheels, which were a problem on Curiosity, they kept getting punctured. They've been reinforced and they have a better design on uh, the newer rover on Perseverance. That way it's able to travel around the surface without needing to avoid rocks and such.
1: The, this mission isn't a summer rerun of Curiosity, although it looks the same. It's slightly heavier. As Elizabeth just said, the wheels have been improved. Um, Curiosity is sort of... Main instrument was the complicated oven, which took samples in and heated them and, you know, sifted through the soil and the gases to see what was there. With this mission, it's more zooming in and looking for specific things on the microscopic level. It's got a very, very fancy system. One instrument is called Sherlock, uh, which will zap the rocks to look for, at the microscopic level, the return signal that comes back. Because each bit of stuff that's in the rock that might have been a precursor to life has a specific characteristic at these wavelengths. Uh, It's uh, ultraviolet lasers. And it's very, very fancy chemistry and very, very complicated engineering to be able to do that. But nobody's done this to this level before to to land to say, okay, we like the look of that rock over there. Let's go and... Let's see what you know. When you've got the context of where the rocks form, like there's been water there in the ancient past, different minerals. That's a pretty good bet that there might be something interesting there. One of the instruments will then will go sort of drill a little sort of hole inside it, and they'll take a look with this laser to see exactly what what's in there. It's kind of a chemical bag of goodies, if you like, to be able to, to, to specifically hone in on interesting stuff. And they don't know what they're going to find. I mean, that's the interesting stuff. We said to one of the scientists, is it life as we know it? And he said, life is we don't know it. We, we don't know what we're going to find.
0: And Nick, I'm sure you will appreciate this because of your background in broadcasting, but there's also a microphone on this that will help them uh, determine what those rocks are made of, which is really fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing I've been waiting for for most of my life, actually, because when I was still in this reporting in 99, the Mars Polar Lander had a microphone, but unfortunately the Mars polar didn't make it. The Phoenix Lander landed and there was supposed to be a recording system on that and that didn't work so this is the first time we'll actually hear what Mars sounds like which I think would be fantastic um, I don't think any of the simulations will give you the sense of the, the sort of the, the way that the air sounds it's the pressure at the surface of Mars is like hundred thousand feet above the earth there's not going to be much sound you might think but there's all sorts of rocks blowing around in the wind we know from the InSight lander, which has been there for just over 18 months now, that they've monitored in blowing over its solar panel. So they've not recorded the sound, but they've recreated... they've seen and what that would sound like so for the first time so i think it's going to sound quite eerie and, and it'll be great
0: elizabeth i'm wondering if you can chat a bit about um about the launch and its journey there and and how perseverance will will land on the surface
2: it's actually going to be um mostly a rerun from the curiosity mission in terms of how it lands but of course the timing is different and our understanding is a bit more advanced because we're now eight years on, hard as it is to believe, from Curiosity's epic landing in 2012. That was August 2012. So uh, there have been some changes to the launch date. NASA has a very strict restriction about when it can get the Curiosity rover off the ground and onto Mars because Earth and Mars only come close to each other about once every 18 months to two years, sort of around that range. And if you have the planets too far apart, it takes far too much fuel to get out there. And so they either have to make that launch window Or they have to be waiting another two years to cycle around, which happens from time to time. We're hoping not this time. So if all goes to plan, it should be launching somewhere in the range of between July 30th and August 15th. And I did check those figures this morning. Hopefully it hasn't shifted again in the last uh, couple of hours. But if that ends up working out, then it will begin a lengthy journey over to Mars and will make a landing in early 2021. I believe it's February if I have that off the top of my head lands in February and what it's going to be deploying is a advanced parachute system that also is going to be including almost like a spool. It's going to be lowering the spacecraft down to the surface when it gets close enough there. And then uh, what will happen is that this spool will sever just when Perseverance is a little ways above the surface. The engine that's holding the spool will be rocketing away leaving perseverance just to make a safe and short drop down. And this uh, system is so innovative and strange that uh, eight years ago, NASA was calling it the seven minutes of terror to try to get all the way up from the landing, going into the atmosphere with your parachutes and making sure that everything was deploying at the right time all the way down to the ground. But it works so well for Curiosity. Very, very good system for dealing with heavy rovers that they said, you know what, why mess with the system? Why do something that's very innovative when we know this is going to be working? One major difference on Perseverance is because the rover is eight years more advanced than Curiosity, it has a measure of artificial intelligence on board. So one of the things that it can do, for example, is to find a more precise landing spot due to uh, all the computer smarts that are happening. And then, of course, when the rover actually does get moving, it will have a little bit more ability to go and pick the path where it's going to be going. Although, of course, NASA's uh, controllers at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory will continue to monitor and to do most of the movements themselves.
0: Yeah, Seven Minutes of Terror does not sound uh, very fun, but it was very successful the last time, so if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> What's interesting is, and again, for, the where Perseverance will land, Jezero Crater, is a bullseye, it's about 30 miles across. Now, it's in a region of Mars called Isidis Planitia, and that's already a graveyard for two landers, both failed. It's not easy to land on Mars, the Europeans were supposed to be launching this summer a mission which is going to land somewhere else. But they've had a lot of technical problems, so fairly sensibly, they've delayed it till the next launch window in 2022. The same launch window that opens in the next few days depends on Earth, wherever mm-hmm. you are, because the window opens and you, when the Earth is pointing towards Mars. First mission to go is a launch from Japan. It's uh, launched by the Emirates, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, It's called the HOPE mission. It it weighs about one and a half tonnes, I think the last time I looked at it. Um, It will arrive in Mars and be in a highly elliptical orbit. And it's got a couple of instruments, well, it's actually got three or four, but it's got a camera, it's got the radio transmitter, and it's got a couple of instruments, one from Boulder, Colorado, the other from Berkeley in California, that will be putting and looking for the missing links of what we know about the Martian atmosphere. Because moving back, and if you imagine zooming through time backwards, Mars probably had a lot of water in the... It's disappeared, or rather it's been lost to space. And there's lots of different estimations of how much water it might have had and what happens to it. And at the moment, we've got some clues, but this orbit is a strange and elliptical one, and it will observe what happens to all this stuff that's coming off Mars now. Because there are hydrogen atoms and there's little bits of oxygen and how they interact and all that sort of complicated chemistry that most of us couldn't follow at school. But to understand that, we'll be able to plug that in. Okay, from that, we know this how can work back. And actually, it could be that there was enough water for it to be an ocean on Mars, which could be, as they say... Uh, in football circles, a game changer, because if there was an ocean that covered significant parts of the Martian surface, then there's a greater chance that in the ancient past life could have formed.
0: There's also a a Chinese rover set to launch as well during this window, right? Can you tell us a little bit about
1: that, Nick? Yeah, sure. As with all Chinese activities, it, it takes me back to my youth. And the Soviet Union that they would never release anything until it uh, it had happened. We know that its launch window. They're talking about July the twenty third as a launch. It will go on a long March five, which I think they they've launched different versions of this so far. It will arrive in orbit next February, February twenty twenty one. It will go into orbit, and we know there's an orbiter and a lander, and it's got the same kind of instruments. That uh, spirit and opportunity had. We also know because one of the scientists was at an international mission uh, meeting and gave a presentation. One of the proposed landing sites is called Utopia Planitia. I just there's a place on Mars called Utopia. Well, in 1976, the second Viking lander, an uh, mission of the 70s, landed there, and we know it's cold and dry, and they it also observed frost. And what's happened since then is some of the instruments that are orbiting Mars now have detected what looks like a vast sort of frozen ice sheet under there. Again, the Chinese mission, if it does land there, because they've not said that that's where it will land, but we know that's one of the candidate sites, that could be, again, very interesting because it'll have a drill that will drill down and it might be able to find that there is actually ice under the surface. Again, if there's ice and life forms ever existed, they might you know sort of still they, they might be there as a kind of you know the, the likelihood is is that's where you would need to land to see something like that
0: you're listening to are we there yet i'm brendan byrne we're speaking with elizabeth Howe and nicholas booth authors of the new book the search for life on mars our conversation continues after the break are we there yet is back in a minute You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. We're speaking with Elizabeth Howell and Nicholas Booth. They're the authors of the new book, The Search for Life on Mars. We continue our conversation about the summer of Mars and the three missions that are heading to the Red Planet. Elizabeth, you mentioned this before. um, You talked a bit about caching on the Perseverance rover, um, collecting these samples uh, on the surface of Mars. Talk a little bit about this process. What what's the long-term goal uh, for for these samples?
2: Well, what they're hoping to do is to get a really good look at the samples to understand more about what happened to Mars in the ancient past. So we know a few things from a combination of many. Um, observant spacecraft over decades. So we know, for example, that water had, uh, sorry, that Mars had a lot of water in the ancient past. Some people say there might even have been oceans, um, but most can agree that there were at least rivers. It had a thicker atmosphere and then that atmosphere was eroded over time and got too thin and then the water stopped flowing. Now, why the atmosphere got too thin, we think it might have to do with solar activity, pushing all the uh, atoms away over time. However, uh, that's still being investigated by other spacecraft. So we can look at it kind of on the large-scale macro things. We know that there was water. We know that there was a thicker atmosphere. But what we're trying to figure out now is to get into the micro to understand the effect that that had on individual rocks, and also, we believe, on microbes, because many scientists do believe that Mars was at least host to microbes at some point in its past because it had all the elements that were needed for life to thrive. It had that thick atmosphere, it had water, it had a fairly um, gentle surface, you know, at the time. Now it's pretty baked in radiation and cold, but at the time it was a much more gentle. So the way that we look for that now is to look into the rock record, because as we all know, here on earth, we have fossils and we have also traces of uh, other types of small creatures that have been moving around in the rocks over the geologic record. And so we can go and analyze these rocks to see what the activities were and to draw some conclusions about what that life may have been. On Mars, though, there's a caveat. We can't just easily ship stuff all the way out there because it takes several months. Rockets can only hold so much. There's only so much fuel available. That means that the size of the lander and the size of the instruments is then limited. It's like going on a camping trip. You can't bring everything with you. You have to make some really hard choices about what things are necessary to get your mission going. We can do some really extraordinary things with limited instruments that are available on hand. But to really get a good sense and look at the rocks in detail, we need to have a laboratory that has the most advanced scanning equipment available to look at the rock and to make some analyses. So the challenge is we have to get the rocks from Mars all the way back to Earth. And I'm saying this very sensitively, knowing we're in the middle of a pandemic, to do so as safely as possible because we want to make sure that we're not accidentally exposing any Martian microbes to Earth and vice versa. so we don't contaminate the sample and also that so that there's no risk to what's happening on earth to the people here on earth and all the other creatures so the long-term vision will be to catch these samples to put them aside in for lack of a better word a little box a little uh, sort of container keep them isolated on the surface finish up the perseverance mission or, or continue keep on going on its way to a new thing and then another spacecraft is going to come along go to the area where the sample is and then pick it up and then transfer it to yet another spacecraft, which will be lifting back off from Mars and then going all the way back to Earth. The spacecraft will obviously have, the one that's coming back to Earth, a lot of reinforcements to make sure that, for example, it doesn't break open upon landing, which uh, has happened with a couple of past missions. And then once it arrives, there will be a highly implemented quarantine protocol, which is still, of course, being talked about at all the space agency levels, to bring it back to a highly secured lab where scientists that are working under many of the same protocols that are done with dangerous viruses will be very closely and very carefully breaking open these rocks and doing all the scientific analyses necessary with their scanning equipment to see what is inside. So the vision is this particular sample return mission would probably start to happen later in the 2020s. It hasn't been funded yet. It hasn't really been announced yet, but they are working on it. It's just the way that space goes. You need to have a lot of time to even do the planning before you end up making the announcement. Then when the announcement happens, it'll take a few more years to secure the design of the spacecraft. So they'll have to, of course, send it out there and then to have a return spacecraft also going along to bring it back to Earth. And so the thinking is that all of this would be happening and all of this would be about finished. It would be back on Earth. The sample would be ready for analysis probably within the next decade, perhaps even sooner, depending on how the funding environment goes. And so stay tuned. We potentially might have a very exciting mission coming down the line that's based right on what we're seeing today from Perseverance.
0: And Nick, this, this would be a kind of multinational effort to accomplish this goal right
1: that's right it needs to to do that i mean the minute that perseverance lands the clock is running because you don't know how long it's going to last there the previous mission curiosity is still going strong after eight years so they don't know how long will the follow-up they're hoping is to land very close to this crater where there's a breached wall where it looks as though water in the ancient past has flow through there, the rover can travel through this breach gap into older rock, which will be some of the oldest rock on it that will ever have been seen on Mars. So the, the, the further back you go, the greater the chance, in some sense, that you might find, if not life, certainly the chemistry that points you in the direction of life. In 26, they've got to launch another lander, which will be a joint American-European mission, and there's got to be another orbiter to go at the same time. So what will happen is it will work. This is the vague idea. This is all very breezy, and this is a saint. It's lots of technical steps that nobody's ever done before, two of which are, You can land on Mars, but nobody's ever taken off from the surface of Mars. So the lander that will carry with it what's called a fetch rover, um, and the fetch rover will get off the rover, pick up some of these samples, and then it's got to return back, put them inside a rocket, which it's already brought all the way from the Earth. So here's the first time, not only that you've got the rocket that helps you to land, you've got an ascent stage with a rocket on that to bring it back. That's then got to fire into Mars orbit, where this other orbiter, will be waiting. Again, nobody's ever done that. And it time delay. Mars is anywhere from eight to two minutes, depending on where Earth and Mars are. So it will have to be done automatically. They, you know, It will be really, really tough technically. Off the record, we've spoken to people and some of them have said, well, you know, we might not get it right the first time. But as long as the samples are fine and as long as they're fired off, it should be OK. Then that sample has then got to do another very, very fancy which is this, to make sure that the stuff that comes back to Earth has not in any way been in contact with the Martian surface. This is what they call breaking the chain. And that's another technical complication. But the plan is, this is how we think we're going to do it. Europe has just announced that it's given the contract to develop the the Fetch rover, which basically will be smaller than any of the rovers we've seen recently. All it has to do is to trundle along and set the Mars land speed record to be able to get pick up some of these samples and bring them back to Earth. It's going to be tough, but you know, Lordy, if they can get through it, this will be the moment in The Wizard of Oz where it goes from black and white to colour because again, we've spoken to a lot of the scientists involved in Mars research. There's no point trying to take everything in the kitchen sink to, to Mars. We've got the kitchen sink here get us the samples, we'll bring them back, and then we can magic tricks here.
0: The book is called The Search for Life on Mars. Uh, all of this work is to, you know, see if we can uncover these, you know, ancient signs of life on the red planet. Elizabeth, Nick, do you think that we will uncover that evidence? Was there life on Mars?
1: In terms of ancient life forms, yeah, I'm the oldest here in the room. To me, <laughs> it's, it's one of those questions that, I mean, this is why... We've written the book in the way we have. It's a detective story that's gone on for generations. And the way I like to think of it is it's it's the pit and the pendulum. You know, the pendulum that swings. The pendulum swung towards life and it's come back. And it seems every 20 years somebody finds something where they think, wow, we've discovered life. The Vikings landed in 1906. One of the instruments essentially tested positive. But that's there's a big you know, sort of argument in the scientific community then that it hadn't discovered life. Another 20 years when I was in reporting, there was the meteorite from Mars that had this stuff in it that nobody really could make any sense of. At the moment, what I think is happening is the pendulum is swinging towards life again. But the have spoken to have said, you know, don't expect miracles, we're not going to land, we're not going to show you a photograph of a Martian animal. What they will find is something that's very, very arcane and that points generally in the direction of life. Now, at some point in the future, somebody else could land and... Yeah, you know, I think sometime this century there is life to be found. It will be. It will be found.
0: And Elizabeth, you've you've seen the spacecraft. Um, we're just days away from launch. Anxiety, anticipation, excitement. What what's going through uh, through your mind uh, as we approach launch day?
2: Every mission has its own measure of anxiety, anticipation. I've seen. I've been lucky enough to see five uh, spacecraft lift off with humans on board over the years, and that feeling in your body of knowing that there's something precious on board there never changes. It doesn't matter how many launches you see in my opinion. And that also goes for the robotic side, because this is precious in a different sense. It's holding years and years, decades in some cases of scientific research on board there from the instrumentation to uh, the way that it's navigating around. And in a sense, not in a sense, it's completely a manifestation of thousands of people's individual work, all on one per, one cycle machine, heading up to the red planet, and this makes it truly an amazing mission. Because um, even though NASA is sort of the banner name on the uh, the Perseverance rover, there's a lot of international collaboration that's being fed in there. They've also been uh, including feedback from the community. They actually have a tribute on there, for example, a small uh, sort of a plaque that's going to be honoring all the healthcare workers that have been uh, assisting people all over the world with the novel coronavirus pandemic. That of course has been affecting all spacecraft operations, no matter what country you're in. So it's a manifestation of both the technical expertise and also about the cultural understanding that we're coming to as a community, as a planet about how to help each other. And we're doing it right now in a scientific sense, but a lot of the lessons learned are going to be brought back to Earth for other things that I can't even predict yet. We don't really know what some of these spin-offs are going to be once that rover gets rolling, but besides finding uh, as much evidence of life as it can, it will also be giving us other benefits that just can't be predicted right now. So I find it both an anticipatory experience and also something that's very exciting because kids that are in uh, elementary school and high school right now will be the ones reaping the benefit of whatever it finds when they start to become adults.
0: It really is an exciting future. um, And uh, it is also a very good read. Uh, So we've been speaking with Elizabeth Howell and Nicholas Booth. Uh, They authored the new book, The Search for Life on Mars. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you very much, Brendan. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE and WMFV. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Penny. Our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners, and you can help this show and the local journalism you rely on each and every day by making a donation at WMFE.org. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.